Hey everyone, I'm Phil Albertelli, and this is the Week in Doubt episode, whatever. Uh, let's see, actually, I think it's episode 266, I believe. No script whatsoever, it's a Friday night, I'm just gonna have fun and see where things go. I've got my uh, Krampus mug here, full of rum and coke, that I purchased from uh, the Satanic Temple. The mug, not the rum and coke. Probably didn't need to uh, clarify that. And this mug has quickly become one of my prized possessions. I was a little hesitant to pull the trigger on a $25 mug, but now that I have it, I think it's well worth it. And, and this isn't me shilling for the Satanic Temple. You guys know how I love Krampus. I've done um, some episodes on Krampus in the past. It's this beautiful red mug with kind of like an old style, almost woodcut type image of Krampus on the front. Very cool. And I don't know if it's satanically blessed or what, but it seems to be able to hold more fluids than it should. So, uh, almost like a member Dungeons and Dragons with the bag of holding. Almost like that, but with rum and coke. And also, the uh, Satanic Temple does a really great job fighting for separation of church and state issues. So, uh, you know, if not only do I get a cool mug, but the money goes to some of their projects or whatever, you know, and helps them out. That's very cool, too. And last weekend, I was actually at this kind of Secret Santa type of party, and a really good uh, friend of mine happened to get me for the gift exchange, and she ended up giving me a statue of Pazuzu. So I'm sitting here in front of my microphone with a, a statue of Pazuzu in front of me and drinking out of a, uh, a Krampus mug. Let's see, before I talk about uh, any religious-type news stories, there were a couple of stories that have absolutely nothing to do with atheism, but I found them interesting or relevant to myself in one way or another. So first up, adult film star August Ames uh, committed suicide. She, I believe she, she had, you, do we say, what's the past tense? Is it, uh, she hanged herself, right? Or is it she hung herself? I believe it's hanged, but anyway. Um, <laughs> so this is going to uh, take me perhaps into some dicey waters. So a long time ago, I don't know, it could have been a year or two into the podcast. I've been doing this for five years now. I can't believe it. I guess I should be proud of myself, but I think there's something inherently depressing about acknowledging the passage of time. Um, and I did an episode actually examining pornography from a kind of moral angle. Um, and I think in that episode, and this is still pretty much my view today, I think I basically said that, you know, I have no religious hangups about sexuality or pornography. You know, I, I'm a, essentially, I'm an atheist, agnostic atheist, if you want to get specific, uh, non-believer, skeptic, uh, choose your label. So, like I said, there's no no religious hangups with me. Um, so, any issues I would have with things like prostitution or pornography would have to be ethical concerns, um, not concerns about whether or not uh, some sky daddy is going to approve of, of uh, who you sleep with or not. But 
are your actions going to be harmful to yourself or to others? So my only real hang up about pornography is are the people quote unquote acting <laughs> in these films, are they being exploited or not? Are they kind of broken, damaged, vulnerable people who are in the porn business? Because I don't know, who knows? Maybe they were abused as children. Um, maybe they have emotional issues. But I mean, in theory, if the people appearing or performing in a pornographic film are of age, consenting, you know, they're being compensated or whatever, and are, you know, fully cognizant of the life choices they're making, then, hey, hey, why not? You know, uh, I have no problem with it. And I would be a hypocrite, I think, if I, you know, completely denounce pornography. Um, this is where it gets a little embarrassing for me. I think I, I mentioned it in that episode, though. I made some kind of passing joke about, you know, if I had a quarter or a nickel for every, uh, you know, adult video or whatever I've watched, you know. Um, oh, believe you me, I've, I've definitely watched more than my share. Uh, you know, I, I'm a red-blooded single guy, uh, knew from a very young age that I was really into women. Uh, and now in the internet age where, you know, naked pictures or videos of whatever type of person suits your preference are always, you know, a, a, a click away. It's like, hey, come on. Um, and, and so I recognized August Ames' name right away. I knew right away who it was when uh, her name was in the news. And I think it's safe to say I'm not the only one. Uh, it's kind of weird how mainstream porn has become, uh, probably because, you know, of the internet. Uh, because uh, talk of her suicide was not just all over social media, like Twitter and stuff like that, but it was also being reported in, you know, the relatively mainstream news, um, you know, the Huffington Post and online outlets like that. Yeah, they had, actually, this is dated today. Porn star August Ames found dead. The 23-year-old had appeared in hundreds of films. Says she uh, had made more than 270 films during a four-year career. She was found dead in her California home on Tuesday. The Ventura County Medical Examiner's Office said the cause of death was asphyxia and ruled it suicide. And she was married to a porn director by the name of Kevin Moore. And he gave a statement. She was the kindest person I ever knew, and she meant the world to me, Moore said. Please leave this as a private family matter in this difficult time. You know, it's funny. I think sometimes, well, maybe I shouldn't speak for everyone, just me. I'll look at an adult film star and, you know, the way they're all kind of glammed up, the graphic nature of the work they're involved in, etc. And it's easy to forget just how young some of them are. She was only 23, you know, legally an adult for several years, but still in a way, just a kid, 23 years old, just starting out in life. And, uh, now she's gone. And I think maybe because of the nature of the work, even though I think pornography has become, like I was saying, a lot more mainstream, it still carries a stigma and I'm sure that 
people who perform in adult movies still get judged pretty harshly by society at large. So maybe someone like this won't necessarily get the sympathy they deserve as a human being. I mean, whatever you may think of her career choice, um, she was a 23-year-old kid or whatever, you know? And it's not like she was out clubbing seal pups. You know, she was having consensual sex um, for money, you know, getting paid money to have consensual sex on film. And a lot of people who would probably condemn her for it are probably, you know, the same people uh, watching her movies at home behind a closed door or whatever. So basically how this all kind of escalated, or I almost said climaxed, and that would have been an un unintentional sex joke. Um, and I want to thank a uh, friend and listener, Crocoduck, for bringing this to my attention via Twitter. I don't know if he expected me to recognize her name as quickly as I did. I was like, August Ames, really? Um, to backtrack a little, because I'm meandering all over the place, once again, no script. I was talking about how porn has become so mainstream and how this story has been everywhere. I mean, back in the day of VHS tapes or whatever, you know, or even DVD, um, if, if some porn star committed suicide, I'm not sure if it would have become mainstream news. But we had people like Philip DeFranco, a bunch of other big name YouTubers talking about it uh, all over Twitter, online news outlets like the Huffington Post, as I said, discussing this. But anyway, basically, so what happened is... She had issued a tweet in which she voiced her concerns about doing or shooting pornographic scenes with men who have also starred in gay porn in the past. Um, she had concerns about HIV, I guess, uh, even though supposedly, quote unquote, mainstream porn actors who work for larger companies. I imagine it's probably required legally too, I imagine, of um, even smaller porn companies, uh, independent porn companies, that they have to have the actors and actresses tested. But I know that they're supposed to be tested regularly. Um, but nevertheless, she had some concerns. She said she wasn't anti-gay, but she personally had concerns about doing scenes with quote-unquote crossover stars, people who had been in uh, gay pornographic films. And I guess this was viewed as being very un-PC uh, on Twitter. And a bunch of people, including, I think, uh, at least one porn director and a bunch of porn um, actors and actresses, basically piled on her, uh, accusing her of being homophobic, uh, saying some really nasty stuff to her. And she started to get uh, a bit defensive. This is all uh, paraphrasing here, but she was saying things to the effect that, you know, even if they won't admit it on Twitter, it's pretty common for female porn stars to not want to do scenes with crossover male actors because of, uh, I guess, the threat of uh, HIV AIDS or whatever. Um, and she basically said, you know, thanks, ladies, for the support. And she issued a couple of subsequent tweets. And the last one was basically, you know, I'll censor myself here, but it was basically F you all. And um, 
Then she killed herself. So once again, whatever you think of the business, I mean, still sad, 23-year-old person, dead. Uh, and, and I can't blame, or I can't lay all the blame at the feet of her Twitter adversaries or critics. Um, I think they played a part. If I'm, if I'm correct, I think news reports said, maybe even the husband said, that she had a history of wrestling with depression. So that was most likely... A major component, but I, I'm sure people kind of dogpiling on her on Twitter didn't help. Um, and I'm sure that kind of helped to push her over the edge. And of course, we've probably all seen or heard stories of um, similar in a way, but dealing with innocent school kids, young, I don't know, maybe middle school or high school age girls uh, who end up killing themselves, taking their own lives because of cyberbullying, basically. I think it was The Amazing Atheist, he was talking about the story too, and he was saying that, you know, it probably wasn't the best idea for her to voice her, I guess, quote-unquote, maybe somewhat controversial opinion online if she wasn't strong enough to handle the backlash or the criticism. But that being said, that still doesn't take away from the tragedy of a 23-year-old being dead. And once again, whatever you think of pornography, like I said, she, in my opinion, she wasn't hurting anyone else. You know, like I said before, she was having consensual sex on film. That was her big, you know, quote unquote crime. Uh, and as someone who has consumed such content, I can't shake my finger at, at her. And like I said, other, you know, I, I don't have any religious moral hangups about pornography. My only hangup is, are the people starring in these movies being exploited or not, you know, that's my only hang up. Um, and I don't know if this is kind of a strange tribute to her and I can't believe I'm admitting this online. I usually shy away. I mean, I mean in the past I've talked about everything, lots of personal stuff on the show, but it's kind of, it's kind of odd talking about your, uh, porn viewing habits with your audience, you know, you know, and put, then putting it out online where anyone can listen to it. I think it's one of my favorite scenes ever starred her. And I don't know why it did it, so to speak, for me. <laughs> but she, you know, she plays this kind of ditzy young woman who's just hanging out in her room with a guy friend, you know, just like a platonic guy friend. And she decides for the heck of it, let's be friends with benefits. And it's a POV uh, movie, meaning, you know, point of view. Um, so you don't have to look at the guy. You just basically see her. And absolutely amazing looking girl, just absolutely beautiful. Um, and so while she's supposed to be casually having sex with her friend, her male friend, she's like, uh, like can't be bothered. She's making plans on her phone and this and that. And I don't know why, don't know why that does it for me. I mean, we might have to resurrect Sigmund Freud or something. Uh, and usually that's not like a weird fetish I have. It was just something about this particular scene. And before editing, this is like, we're 20 minutes in, and this is probably going to be one of the odder episodes of The Weekend Doubt, and hopefully it doesn't turn off any of my regular viewers, the fact that I just spent uh, 20 minutes talking about pornography. I'm already halfway through with my rum and coke. But before I sign off on August Ames, I was just about to close out um, that page on my iPad, and I, I saw the number again, 270 films. 
That's just that that like boggles my mind. I don't even know know what to say about it. But um, yeah, so there was another kind of unrelated news story or a news story that falls outside the usual wheelhouse of the show that I want to discuss. And it's connected to the show in a way because it has to do with Patreon. And most of you listening probably have some idea of what Patreon is. I usually uh, plug it at the end of every episode. And it's a very popular way of supporting content creators, whether they be uh, YouTubers or podcasters, etc. And I also found out about this story via Crocoduck as well. And um, after he alerted me to it, I jumped onto YouTube and noticed a bunch of videos uh, already uh, criticizing Patreon for some controversial moves they're making. And I'll do my best to give a brief synopsis of what's going on. So under the guise of trying to make sure that content creators get to keep more of the money that's donated to them by patrons, Patreon has decided to revamp their business model, in a sense, or or the way in which patrons donate. So usually what would happen, uh, let's say someone wants to donate a dollar to a podcast or a YouTuber they really enjoy. Usually, you know, you'd go on to Patreon, sign up or whatever it is you have to do. And, uh, you know, you'd, you'd pay the, uh, the dollar or the five dollars or whatever it is. Or rather, it would get charged your credit card or whatever at the end of the month, what have you. And, and so, basically, you know, you want to pay a dollar, you pay a dollar. And the content creator... Me, for instance, I would get about 85 cents of that. Patreon keeps the rest, which is understandable, seeing as, you know, they have to stay in business. They're providing a service. They have to put food on the table, too, and uh, pay employees, etc. So what people have taken issue with, and it does seem kind of sneaky, or either that, they didn't think it through very well. They've decided to charge patrons or donors a fee for donating. So if you want to donate a dollar to your favorite content creator, instead of just getting charged a dollar, you'll now get charged like a dollar and 30 something cents. And the content creator will keep about 95 or 90 something cents of that. So the content creator is getting a little bit more of a cut but Patreon is getting a lot more of, of the cut than they used to. So they're basically increasing their cut by charging an additional fee to the people who are nice enough to be supporting these content creators in the first place. So there's an understandable fear that this might drive existing or potential patrons away. So definitely not cool, not cool at all. I think I'd rather see my take go down a tiny bit more rather than seeing patrons get charged an additional 30-something cents. And that's not just me trying to be, you know, an ethical guy who's concerned about the welfare of the people who are nice enough to, you know, support me. Uh, It's also a matter of self-preservation just from a Machiavellian or business uh, standpoint, I I don't want to see people get driven away from, uh, you know, using 
the platform to support me. And as we speak, I make like a little under 40 bucks a month on average from Patreon. So we're talking small potatoes, but I am very grateful. 40 bucks is a lot better than not getting 40 bucks a month. You know what I mean? Um, and I can remember when I first started using Patreon saying that, you know, my goal was just being able to cover the hosting fees uh, because in order to publish a podcast, you need a kind of middleman. You need a place where you can host the feed for the show. If you're lucky enough, you know, you might have your own server or a friend server you can use. Actually, my friend uh, C-Web, fellow podcaster C-Web of C-Web Sunday School, now C-Web's um, Paranormal Skeptic Academy. I think I'm supposed to be doing a uh, an episode with him towards the end of the month. He actually offered a few times to let me use some space on his server for the podcast. And I would have jumped at it, but my only fear was uprooting the podcast. What would happen? Would my feed end up broken? Would I basically have to start from square one and publish the show all over again on iTunes, potentially losing my existing subscribers, etc.? So that's the only reason why I've stuck with um, with Podbean. And my sister's in the IT business. Um, she does some tech support stuff for, uh, I forget the name of the company, for a pretty big company. She's pretty savvy with that stuff. And she offered me server space as well. But, I, you know, I basically had the same reservations. And so because I kept on upgrading my package as I was running out of space on Podbean, uh, I now pay about $19 a month, uh, $19 and some change, just shy of $20 bucks every month to host the feed for this show. And so finally, you know, uh, I'm making twice what my goal was. Initially, my goal was to make just enough money every month to cover the Podbean expenses. And now I'm making twice that, $40. Bucks. And there's uh, a lot of content creators out there who make hundreds, if not thousands of dollars a month who are almost, who are practically able to make a living off of Patreon. I'm not there yet. I think someday, I, I, I mean, I would absolutely love it. Uh, it seems like too good to be true, too big of a dream. But I would love to do something like what Kyle Kalinske or David Pakman or, or people like that are doing. Have a nice kind of slick looking set, um, maybe put my mug, you know, in front of the camera and uh, do the show that way. And uh, that would be great if I could someday make enough money through Patreon to be able to afford to, to you know, build my own little studio. And uh, yeah, I, I think that that's basically a dream goal of mine. Will that ever happen? Who the hell knows? But yeah, I think a lot of people who benefit from Patreon uh, are a little feeling a little uneasy right now and are wondering what's going to happen. Uh, I, I'm hoping Patreon does a, you know, a full about face and decides to undo this decision and go back to the previous model. Like I was saying, I, I would, just for the sake of trying not to, you know, chase away existing or potential supporters, I'd rather take a little bit of a hit than see them start charging patrons more. All right, so I guess I'll do some stories that are more in keeping with the show. 
So, uh, firstly, in speaking of the Satanic Temple, we have a story from Boing Boing by Cory Doctorow, and it's dated Thursday, November 30th. And I think I actually, uh, I posted this to the Weekend Out Facebook page, and the title is, Christmas is under attack, vandals steal Satanic Temple's tree topper from San Jose's Christmas in the Park event. And I don't know if this is a picture of the original tree topper or if this is the replacement, but I actually made this picture, my uh, cover photo on my personal Facebook page. <laughs> so yeah, so it's some kind of Christmas tree, yeah, Christmas in the Park event. So you have all different Christmas trees, very, you know, traditional looking, uh, colorful, uh, in keeping with the season. Then the Satanic Temple's tree actually looks fairly traditional too with, you know, the greens and reds, etc. Except there's at least one skeleton hanging from the tree and the top of the tree, instead of a star or an angel, it's a big black Baphomet head with a uh, long beard, horns, and a, uh, I almost said pentagram, but this looks more like a pentacle. I, I mean, I'm splitting hairs. I, as someone who kind of has a, a long-standing interest in the occult, I think it's usually called a pentacle when, you know, the fifth point of the star is pointing upward and a pentagram when the star is pointing downward. Uh, maybe technically the terms are interchangeable. I don't know. Um... <laughs> really stern-looking black Baphomet head. So it says, uh, Christmas is under attack. The Satanic Temple was one of many faith organizations who applied to put a tree at the record-breaking Christmas in the Park event in San Jose, an event that in no way abridged the separation of church and state because it allowed any religion to participate. The Satanist tree was taught by a gorgeous, reverent likeness of Baphomet, his capricious majesty, created by a local artist and held sacred by the faith organization. The sacred relic was stolen on Saturday, the first day of operation for Christmas in the Park. Organizers with Christmas in the Park confirmed the theft and said that, while it was a surprise that the Satanic Temple signed up for a tree, there were no issues with the group or their decorations. All different types of groups were allowed to decorate trees, regardless of whether we have the same beliefs as them or not. And the theft was unfortunate, said Jason Minsky, executive director of Christmas in the Park. We don't approve or condone that type of behavior by the public. I wish that somebody had stopped them when they saw it because it was during operating hours, but it's just kind of an unfortunate circumstance. I mean, not much to say about it, I guess. Um, I wonder I wonder who stole it, if it was someone who was like, damn, that's, that's a cool-looking Baphomet head, or if it was um, some uh, offended Christian or something like that. I have no idea. My old friend Morgan Walzak, who I still talk with on Facebook, Really cool guy introduced me to some really kind of dark fringe music when I was a kid. I remember uh, back, uh, he he and his brother transferred to Burlington High when they only had like two more years left of high school or something like that. And I remember they both had hair down past their shoulders and used to wear jackets that said smoke crack on the back. Uh, <laughs> cool guys. Very wild. Um... And Morgan was like, hell, I'd steal it <laughs> when he saw it. I don't think I would steal it for a couple of reasons. 
one of them being that I'm uh, I'm sympathetic to the Satanic Temple and what they're trying to do regarding church and state issues, and also my uh, neurotic, hyperactive conscience. Let's see, we got a story from Patheos, and this is from yesterday, December seventh, by uh, Hemant Mehta. Many taxpayer-funded schools are indoctrinating students with Christian lies. And I posted this one to the Facebook page as well. Longtime readers of this site are undoubtedly familiar with the main textbook publishers used in private fundamentalist Christian schools around the country, including Abeka, or Abeka, Bob Jones University Press, and Accelerated Christian Education. These are textbooks that begin from the perspective that the Bible is literally true and everything that challenges evangelical beliefs, including evolution, climate change, being an independent thinker, anything but abstinence-only sex education, etc., must be pushed back against. As damaging as those books are for the poor children who have to use them, private schools and homeschooling parents, for the most part, get to decide their own curriculums. But HuffPost education reporter Rebecca Klein notes that many of the schools that use these textbooks aren't private at all. They receive government funding, your taxpayer dollars, in the form of state-level voucher or tax credit scholarships. Using taxpayer money to fund private schools is something Education Secretary Betsy Davos, is it, yeah, Davos or Davos, has been advocating her entire career. And that also means our tax dollars are funding fundamentalist Christian, quote-unquote, quote, education in schools that have little or no accountability. It's hard to pin down just how many government-funded schools are affected, or should I say infected, with these textbooks, but Klein and her team compiled a database of every private school in the country that receives taxpayer dollars and which textbooks they use. She doesn't have answers for a lot of them, but that doesn't mean she didn't try. Our list totaled nearly 8,000 schools across the 25 of 27 states that offer private school choice along with the District of Columbia. Two states that do not allow religious schools to participate in private school choice programs were excluded from our analysis. Then we researched the religious affiliations of each school by scouring each school's website. If a school did not maintain a website, we emailed school representatives and often followed up with a phone call. We found many of the non-Catholic Christian schools, 32%, were using a Bika or a Becca, Bob Jones, or Ace textbooks in at least one subject or grade. We found that Abeka, or whatever the hell it is, was the most popular textbook source, used in about 27% of non-Catholic Christian schools, and accelerated Christian education was the least popular, used in about 5% of these schools. These are underestimates, in other words, and it's still a lot of schools. So what do the students get out of all this? Mental anguish for one thing. Some say these curriculum sources left them woefully ill-equipped to thrive in a diverse society while instilling in them racist, sexist, and intolerant views of the world. Ashley Bishop said her fundamentalist education made her wary of people from other religious groups whom her teachers and textbooks had demonized. And here's a quote. Anything that wasn't Christianity was a strange religion, said Bishop, who made it a priority to study other religious practices after high school, even spent time with the Hare Krishna. But even other denominations were evil, Catholicism especially. They also get a distorted view of our nation's history. 
A Bob Jones High School World History textbook portrays Islam as a violent religion and contains a title, Islam and Murder. In the same textbook, when describing the Catholic Reformation, Catholic leaders are described as failing to see that the root of their problem was doctrinal error. So I'm a little torn there. <laughs> Islam and murder. It's like... Uh... Yeah, yeah, here we go. There's a lot of peaceful Muslims. There's a lot of people who embrace Judeo-Christianity who don't believe in stoning adulterers to death. But there's also some fundy Christians who do seem to embrace those Old Testament laws, including ones about stoning people to death. I remember um, Richard Dawkins interviewing one, which seems kind of strange because even though it's a later interpolation, so it's thought there's the story about the woman taken into adultery or whatever it is, you know, when Jesus famously says, let him who is without sin cast the first stone, which seems to condemn that sort of thing. So we would think Christians would take that more meek and mild or compassionate approach. But um, I have no problem with people pointing out the violence done in the name of religion or the hypocritical or corrupt aspects of a given religion. Um, but I think, yeah, there should be a certain degree of fairness where you're not sugarcoating other religions. I have no problem with Muhammad being painted as some kind of warlord or shining a light on the bloody history of the origins of Islam. Um, but at the same time, why not also shine a light on the nasty stuff that's in the Bible, etc.? And even if you didn't want to just focus on the negative, why not lay it all out on the table? Take a look at Islam, Judaism, Christianity, Buddhism, Hinduism. Um, lay out the histories of, of the religions. Maybe point to some of the positive aspects of the respective doctrines or whatever, but also shine a light on the... Um, the contradictions, both internally and externally, where different religions contradict each other and where a given religion contradicts itself internally, such as, say, uh, the places where the four Gospels contradict one another, etc. The, you know, the three synoptics and John or whatever. Or point out things like, you know, the, the early Mesopotamian roots of uh, certain biblical stories and whatnot. Um, so I guess what I'm asking for is you know, why not just take an honest, objective, perhaps you could say secular look at world religion? Eh, no, because, you know, the Christians want to push their religion while pointing out the warts on the other religions. And it kind of reminds me of uh, what's that Bible passage, uh, New Testament saying about, uh, I think it's from Matthew, you know, pointing out the moat in someone else's eye. Before, you know, trying to rid yourself of the beam in your own eye. I think, uh, yeah, not only is that Matthew, I think that's in the, uh, that's part of the Sermon on the Mount, isn't it? I believe so. Anyway, I'm not going to look it up. We're just, we're going willy-nilly. Yeah, so to reiterate, I, I would like it if uh, schools took an honest look at religion in general and pointed out, you know, the contradictions, the man-made nature, um, the less than savory aspects of some of the texts and the bloody violent history of, uh, of certain religions, not just Islam. But that being said, I, I can't really lose a lot of sleep over, uh, 
<laughs> people criticizing Islam for, um, well, actually, now that I'm looking at this paragraph again, it's not even necessarily saying that Islam was a religion born in violence or spread through violence, which I think would be fairly accurate, but um, it's calling it in general a violent religion. And I guess, depending on how you look at it, it could be. There's some nasty stuff in the Quran. There's nasty stuff about killing apostates and infidels, uh, stuff about cutting off hands and feet, crucifying people. Um, but we all know, just like there's ca cafeteria Catholics, I think in a way this kind of cafeteria Muslims too, so to speak. There's people who choose to overlook the violent bits and embrace the more lovey-dovey, I'm okay, you're okay, brotherhood of man type of bits, you know? So there is some violent stuff in the religious text, but whether you interpret it or embrace it as a, a religion of violence or murder or whatever, and, you know, that depends on the individual. See, an examination of ACE textbook shows that its materials push strict ideas about gender roles and sexuality. Even now, Bishop still sometimes finds herself shrinking in the presence of men, saying that it's almost like muscle memory. Natasha Balzac, don't laugh, <clears throat> Echoes these sentiments, saying that even her female teachers reinforce the idea that women are secondary to men. When describing the 1920s, a high school ace textbook criticizes women for wearing short skirts and cutting their hair, calling it a violation of scripture. Before the 1920s, when women were less likely to work outside the home, they were comfortable to be discreet chase keepers at house. Good obedient to their own husbands, says the material. Jesus... The point isn't that evangelicals are wrong about this, even though they're wrong about this, but that government funding shouldn't be going toward unregulated Christian indoctrination. Yet that's what Betsy Davos, or Davos, whatever, wants. And she has the weight of the Trump administration behind her. And, uh, I mean, we've known this was coming down the pike. We've known that Betsy Davos, or Davos, was gonna be trouble for quite some time now. And the weird thing is, you know... I don't know if it makes it worse necessarily or what, but the, there's something perverse about the fact that, you know, I don't even think Trump is necessarily, I mean, who knows what goes on in his head, you know, I can't answer for him whether or not he truly believes in God, but he doesn't really seem like a devout believer to me, like someone who truly embraces right-wing Christian social values. It almost seems like he just kind of mindlessly panders to the right on, on issues like this. And I say mindlessly, but perhaps there's some kind of cunning or Machiavellian strategy at work. Uh, you know, it's, he, he's intentionally pandering to the base, even though he himself probably, like I said, isn't really a devout believer. He does claim to have done some kind of moral turnaround on the topic of abortion, you know, having moved from being a Democrat to a Republican. But I don't really see him as a deep or earnest thinker, you know. Um, I see him as a, a person kind of half-blindly driven by ego uh, who makes decisions based on what he thinks, you know, is, is best in his interest. Uh, this isn't necessarily a news story. This is just something I found on Twitter and I shared on the Weekend Out Facebook page. It's another one of these stupid, <laughs> almost too stupid to believe uh, church signs. This one says, uh, Christadelphian meeting room Bible address every Sunday. 
And then, uh, you know, in the center of the marquee or whatever, it says, evolution is a lie. And then um, some wise ass who is thoroughly and completely won my respect, <laughs> stuck a uh, paper sign to the, uh, the billboard or whatever it is. And it says, if you have evidence to disprove evolution, then write it down, get it peer reviewed and collect your Nobel Prize. Well said, man. Yeah, you don't see that, do you? Man came from apes, then why are there still apes? Because it's a branching tree, not a linear line. All right. And uh, here's another one. I think actually Lucian Greaves from, once again, the Satanic Temple tweeted the link to this. And it's from neurosciencenews.com. It's entitled, How the God You Worship Influences the Ghost You See. And it's dated December 2nd. And so it gives a little summary. A new study looks at the psychological impact of religious teachings on death and reports the types of spiritual encounters believers have differ depending on their faith. If you've ever seen a ghost, you have something in common with 18% of Americans. I shouldn't be laughing, you know, I mean, I, sh I should be more open-minded than that. But that seems, even 18% seems high. I mean, have these people, I mean, are they really convinced they've seen some kind of apparition? There doesn't seem to be any good evidence for ghosts or spirits out there. Are these people who are seeing like a blur out of their peripheral vision or a double exposure uh, in a photograph or something. I mean, come on, really? What are you seeing that you think is a ghost? But while there's evidence that our brains are hardwired to see ghosts, the apparitions we see tend to vary. I don't even know our brains are hardwired to see ghosts. I would say our brains are hardwired to be like maybe a little superstitious or to be wary of things that go bump in the night, which is probably partially a, a uh, evolutionary thing that has to do with, you know, some... A survival instinct? See, historians who study and catalog ghostly encounters across time will tell you that ghosts come in a range of shapes and forms. Some haunt individuals appearing in dreams or popping up at unexpected times. Others haunt a specific location and are prepared to spook any passerby. Some are the spitting image of what were once real humans. And then there are the noisy and troublesome poltergeists, which appear as uncontrollable supernatural forces instead of people. What might explain such discrepancies? And are some people more likely to see ghosts than others? It turns out that our religious background could play a role. See, it says religion might ease one fear. Some argue that religion evolved as a terror management device, a handy way to remove the uncertainty surrounding one of the scariest things we can imagine, death. Almost every religion offers an explanation for what happens to us after we die, with the assurance that death isn't the end. And there is, in fact, evidence that very religious people don't fear death as much as others. Protestants, Catholics, and Muslims all believe in the day of resurrection and judgment, in which our souls are directed to heaven, jhana in the case of Muslims, or hell based upon our good deeds or misdeeds during our time spent on earth. Catholics also believe in the halfway house called purgatory, in which people who aren't quite worthy of heaven, but are too good for hell, can pay their dues before getting a ticket to paradise. Buddhists and Hindus believe in a cycle of death and reincarnation that can eventually result in a permanent spiritual state, provided you play your cards right over each successive lifetime. Even the Jewish faith, which doesn't really focus on the afterlife, assumes that an afterlife does exist. By following a clear set of rules, worshippers can assert control. They know what they have to do to make good things rather than bad things happen to them after they take the big dirt nap. 
Okay, let's see. Tormented souls and sinister demons. But there's a catch. Religious talent for easing our anxiety about death may have had the perverse effect of increasing the likelihood that we'll be on the edge about ghosts, spirits, and other supernatural beings. This, however, may depend upon how religious you actually are. Well, this is like, that's actually a really fascinating point. And that's something I've brought up before and talked about with people. You know, how on the one hand, yeah, one of the obvious functions of religion does seem to be to help quell our, our fear of death, to help us deal with the awareness of our own mortality. And I myself have often referred to religion as a kind of pacifier. And yet, some of the less than pleasant beliefs that can go along with a given religion can actually, in and of themselves, generate or cause anxiety. And as someone who was raised Catholic, I can remember growing up having a, having a fear of the devil or demons or demonic possession, uh, Ouija boards, um, all sorts of superstitious fears. And it probably didn't help that I had older siblings who had claimed to have seen uh, quote-unquote ghosts or something like that. Um, I think ultimately their stories don't really amount to much. So my two older brothers used to share a room and um, they claim one night that they saw a ghost and that something suddenly, and I think they said it was white, floated over their beds or floated from one bed to the next bed. But I don't think they could necessarily give a good description of it. And I'm thinking, what if one of them simply tossed a pillow or a sheet and, you know, decide to keep up the story even after the fact because they liked the fact that spooked the other brother? Or whatever, you know, who knows? I think that's probably a more probable or realistic explanation than that something, you know, some kind of a literal spirit or apparition was in the room that night. Or who knows? It could be something stupid that there could have been a natural explanation for something that they both saw. Maybe, you know, the a sudden play of moonlight or a high beam through the window in a into a dark room or something, you know, it's like, who knows? Or maybe one saw something, you know, amorphous in their peripheral vision, and then somehow the other one decided they thought they saw it too, and they were kind of enjoying the excitement of the experience on some level. Who knows? But I, I think there's much more plausible and, and down-to-earth explanations than a ghost. It says, all of the available evidence suggests that those who describe themselves as believers but who don't attend church regularly are twice as likely to believe in ghosts than those at the two extremes of religious belief, non-believers and the deeply devout. And I think that makes sense. I mean, if you were just listening to me, I mean, it's pretty. I, I'm a non-believer and I'm not having any of this ghost nonsense, <laughs> as I just demonstrated. And then people who are deeply devout are probably going to want to stick more closely to scripture and are probably going to want to avoid or be wary of the quote-unquote occult or supernatural. So they might be like, well, if the Bible doesn't say too much about ghosts, then let's not concern ourselves too much with that or delve too deeply into that because maybe that's some kind of demonic deception or something like that. With most religions populated by an impressive cadre of prophets, gods, spirits, angels, and miracles, the tenets of religious faith might shape what you see. They could determine whether a visitor from the spirit world is a welcome or unwelcome guest, while also influencing whom you think you're meeting. 
And then it says, for example, in medieval Catholic Europe, ghosts were assumed to be the tormented souls of people suffering for their sins in purgatory. But during the Protestant Reformation, since most Protestants believe that souls went immediately to heaven or hell, paranormal activity was thought to be the work of angels, demons, or other decidedly non-human supernatural beings. While most Protestant sects today are largely silent about the existence of ghosts, Catholic theology remains amenable to the existence of ghosts. Catholics typically believe that God may permit dead individuals to visit their counterparts on earth, but the church has traditionally condemned occult activities such as seances and Ouija boards. Or Ouija boards. In some religions, such as voodoo, spirits and ghosts play a central role. Religions such as Buddhism and Hinduism support a belief in ghosts, but ghosts play only a minor role in the religion itself. For Hindus, ghosts are the souls of the individuals who suffered a violent death or of people who were not accorded the appropriate and required death rituals. Buddhist ghosts are reincarnated individuals who may be sorting out bad karma. Muslims don't believe that dead people can return as ghosts, so if a Muslim thinks he's encountered a ghost, it's thought to be the work of a jinn. Beings that contain a mix of spiritual and physical properties, whose intentions can be malevolent or benevolent depending upon the situation. There are several other religions, such as Jehovah's Witnesses, that also believe ghostly apparitions are demons in disguise, rather than the souls of deceased people. Jews typically discourage occult activities designed to contact the dead, and there seems to be less consensus within Judaism as to the status of ghosts. However, Jewish oral traditions include stories of evil ghosts, Dibbuks, and kindly helpful ghosts, Ibers, who try to insert themselves in human affairs. It appears people across eras, religions, and cultures have always been curious about a spiritual world that exists behind the curtain of death. Together, it speaks to how thoughts, fears, and visions of death are integral to human life. So, I mean, that, that was an interesting and fun article, but I don't necessarily think it's breaking uh, any new ground. Um, people from different religious traditions have different ideas about the nature of ghosts and spirits. Yeah, I kind of already knew that. But it's, it's, it was a well-written article, and I enjoyed it. I like anything that has to do with uh, the paranormal, ghost stuff like that, even though I don't believe in any of it. But before editing, I am well over an hour into this. So I'll probably call it quits. Uh, thanks everyone for listening. I went through uh, two Krampus mugs of rum and Coke while recording this. I don't think I'm doing too bad considering. Um, yeah, so <laughs> um, maybe, maybe I am a little uh, tipsy. I don't know. <clears throat> so you guys know the drill. <laughs> Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. Um, if you want to subscribe to the show, you can do so via iTunes or Podbean. You can review the show via iTunes. If you want to help the show out monetarily, you can use pay... <clears throat> yeah, no, no, there is a PayPal address somewhere. Uh, there's a PayPal link on the Podbean page. Or you can go to patreon.com if you don't mind the all-new extra fee. And help the show out for as little as 99 cents a month. Or maybe that's $1.35 a month now. I don't know. All right, brothers and sisters. Thanks. And until next time.